Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast series. We exist to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Now let's join Pastor Alan Kiesbo for this week's teaching. Well, as you think about Easter this morning, there's a phrase that comes out of the 1300s that says, familiarity breeds contempt. And the idea is that just in our human nature, the more we know something or the more we know someone, sometimes we tend to forget just how special and significant that relationship or that event is. And I think that's true about Easter, something that we celebrate annually. We kind of forget just how amazing and how critical it is to our faith. So we, I, this morning, ask that we take another look, a fresh look at it, to kind of get us in this mode. I have some pictures that we're going to show you. And this is kind of the advantage of worshiping apart, is that you get to talk to each other. If you're worshiping with somebody on your home or wherever you are, you can actually talk to the person you're with. Uh, if you are on your own, and you can just interact on the Facebook streaming live and kind of tell us what you see. So the first picture that we have is really for the younger people, but I think it will bring a smile uh, to you. What do you see? Well, first look, you might see a semi with some plastic wrapping going off across the country. But if you look with the creative eye, you can also see the cookie monster, which I really think is a bonus thing to see. Let's look at the second one. You may see uh, suds, or you may see a pie, or you may see a cat uh, curled up in a bucket. And uh, all those things. The more you look, the more you see. Are we still on track there? Okay. And then the third one is another cat for all you cat lovers. But what do you see? Do you see a cat with two eyes? Or a cat with four eyes. Ooh, kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> the fourth picture, what do you see? It could be a fire on building, a, f- a building on fire. Or it could be a sunset on one of those mirrored buildings. It's kind of, it could be both. It is uh, that, a sunset in a, pic- in a building. Then here's a man in this next picture. Is he wearing a backpack? Hmm. Or is he wearing a shirt printed with a backpack? Makes you think. Makes you want to look again. And the last one is kind of the one that I think is really kind of fun. A woman sitting in a chair by the lake, but follow her arm down. And is her foot connected to her arm? What's going on there? It needs another look. But this morning, I want us to take another look at the resurrection. And as we read the story primarily about Mary encountering in the Gospel of John, she takes a series of looks, and I'd like to kind of connect her looking at the resurrection with kind of where people may be in their walks with Christ. And as, as we look at the resurrection... And we take another look because kind of how we're looking at the resurrection may kind of give us insight in where we are in this walk with Jesus. I want you to understand that the resurrection isn't something that just happened in the past, but the resurrection is something that is happening. 
that as we take a fresh look, as we take a new look into this thing that we may be familiar with, that we may experience the resurrection in a new and powerful way. Let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. First look. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. The other disciple outran Peter and got there first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. Then the other disciple went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't realized that the scripture that the scriptures said he would rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. The second look. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying, the angel asked. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She glanced over her shoulder, the third look, and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying? Jesus asked. Why are you, who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken, away, taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And then she turned towards him and exclaimed, Teacher! Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I, have, I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go to find my brother, but go and find my brothers and tell them that I was ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then he gave them his message. Crazy morning for Mary and the disciples. A few days earlier, Jesus had hung on the cross. He had died. For most of them, that was the end of the story. Although they loved Jesus, they understood his message, they wanted to attach their lives to Jesus. On Easter morning, they were not believers. And as Mary heads to the tomb, not to see a risen Savior, but to take care of a dead body. She comes around the corner and then she sees something's wrong. This massive stone that had been rolled over the tomb was not where it was supposed to be. It had been pushed back. An impossible task. And she looks a little bit and she can see in the tomb just enough to see where Jesus' body was supposed to be. She was shocked, not by what she saw, but what she didn't see. She was looking for the body of her lifeless Savior. Not seeing that for her was the shock. The void and the vacuum rattled her to her core. She had come not as a believer, 
but as someone who is obedient to take care of Jesus' body. Her first look caused her to understand that she has a void in her life. Think about the first time you kind of moved towards faith. What was it that motivated you to think that maybe there is a God and this God has a relationship that he wants to share with you? What was it that motivated you? What, what is that gave you the courage to take that first step? I think for most of us it was a sense of a void. It's a sense that there is something in my heart that is missing. And as good as my life gets or as much as I accomplish or as many things as I can gather in, as much as I can get in there, there is still that void within us. Several years ago on 9-11, our country faced a void. We thought we were safe as the United States, the powerful United States. We thought we were perfectly defendable, that nobody could hurt us. And then those things happened. The planes crashed into the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon and into a, a plot of land in Pennsylvania. And we were shattered. As a country, we were frightened. And in, we realized that this void in our heart isn't going to go away by which country we participate in. And that disasters happen. Well, we're in that same place again. A little bit different. Instead of a physical enemy, we have a viral enemy. I mean, how many of you a few months ago would have thought we'd be in this place? Sure, there was this disease in China, but... We're the United States. We can't be touched by that. And just as there was a swelling of people who came to church after 9-11, when we were able to gather again, I think there will be a swelling of people who will come and say, I, I realize in this time that I have a void and I'm looking for a Savior who can help me. But let me suggest, if faith for you is only filling a void, as important that this that is, if that first look is to sustain you, you need something more. As Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he says this, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. He says, you've lost this first love. This void is an important part to hear and respond to, but yet this isn't the end of the journey. This is really the invitation to take more steps. This void is important to identify and to say, I need to, minister, I need to connect with that. It goes, this idea of a God-shaped void goes back to Blaise Pascal, who lived between 1623 and 1622. He's now called the father of modern computing, a mathematician by trade. Yet he says this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts which cannot be filled by any created thing, only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. He says in his writings, we once were created by a creator and we were in touch with that, as, as I think he points back to Genesis, and says we were full people, but then something happened and now there's only a trace of who we are. That humanity tries in vain with everything around them to, to fill that void, but Blaise Pascal says there's a void this morning, this virus has rattled your sense of being. If you are mindful of the void, the resurrection is good news. And maybe this might make you take the first look like Mary did, but 
let me say there's another look I'd like you to consider. That as we understand the resurrection, filling the void is really only the first part of walking with Jesus. And I hope that this resurrection season you will take the next step. Mary goes and tells her, the, her friends, the disciples, that she'd been to the tomb and something's wrong. The body's missing, and so the two disciples run. John, who writes his account, wants to make you know that he's faster than Peter, which is an interesting aside in the Scripture. John gets there first, and, and he looks but won't go in. Peter, he just rushes right in, because that's what Peter does, and we, we love that about Peter. Mary comes and, and stands and is observing from the outside, watching what's going on, possibly because in the court system of the day, Mary would not be a legal witness. And it would take a man to say in court, Jesus had risen for whatever reason. She politely lets this thing unfold and sees Peter and John do the investigation, and then they leave. She takes a step closer to the tomb, and then she sees them, angels, I don't know whether she understood them to be angels or not, but she sees them and she moves towards them, tears running down her face, and they just say, what's wrong? <laughs> no doubt she couldn't even understand the question because everything was wrong in this picture. Jesus, who they'd put there a few days earlier, wasn't there. But behind her conversation with the angel, she, is, she is, has this sense of a message saying, if I do something, it will be better. Tell me where he is. I'll go find him. I will take care of him. I can fix this by activity. And I think in our faith progression, there's sometimes where void motivates us to take the first look. And the second step is, if I get busy following Jesus, I can take care of this. I can build my own spirituality. Our lives may be full, but we haven't met the risen Savior, and that leaves us running on empty. And just as Mary sees the second, in her second look, sees, in a sense, more clues and more sense of what to do with this news, she doesn't know the whole story. At this point, as a church with the title, the name, the point is to serve, I need to <laughs> communicate again. We find spiritual formation not by being busy and serving we find spiritual formation by serving in response to meeting the risen Savior. That changes everything. If we think we're going to grow by being busy like Mary, we miss what Easter has for us. So early that Easter morning, Mary comes wondering with his vacuum how she can fill it and thinks, maybe if I'm busy enough, she asks, what can I do? In your second look, maybe the first look you took was to move towards Christ, and maybe you heard the news that there is a God who loves you, who gave himself through the person of Jesus Christ, and that you can be in relationship with him through the asking of through the forgiveness of your sins and claiming him as your Lord. And yet you feel worn out, and so you tried the next step. You, you got involved maybe in a church or maybe in your own spiritual disciplines and said, maybe if I do enough right things... <laughs> I'll meet this risen Savior, but today maybe you come to this resurrection needing to experience the resurrected Savior. There is a third look I'd like you to consider. Mary, the scripture says, now glances over her shoulder. Maybe in a last-ditch effort to say, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to take care of this situation. 
And then in the middle of her thought, she hears her name, Mary. And as she fully turns to the voice, she realizes it's Jesus. The person who she had given her life to, the person who she was willing to follow and would have died happily, I think, before Christ, now sees this person standing resurrected. Her tears change from grief to joy because she's standing looking into the face of Jesus. She knows who he is, and he knows who she is, as he calls her by name. There's a plaque that I've seen that really caught my attention. In comparison to the children's song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, the plaque says this, Jesus knows me, this I love. For Mary, hearing her name called takes her breath away. The void isn't just filled with activities. The void is filled with the person of Jesus Christ. The resurrection for her would not be an argument to win. It'd be a person to meet. And in that garden setting, the place of death, she experiences life. It takes another look at the resurrection for us to move into that. And, and as we've talked about, what motivates you to follow Jesus? If it's just to fill a void, you're, you're missing the best part of the resurrection. If it's to be busy doing Jesus' things, but if you haven't met Jesus, the resurrected Savior, you are missing the best part. May you dwell in this third part of the resurrection, and may another look at it change your life. May the resurrection not just be something that happened in the past, but may it happen today for you. Yesterday, 50 years ago, Apollo 13 was launched. NASA struggled. Should they renumber it? Because it's number 13, and they all said, no, we're a science-based organization. We don't give any concern about the 13th. And then two days into the launch, April 13th, 1970, the oxygen tank on the lunar uh, explorer exploded. That, that was the place that would take them to and back from the moon landing. And NASA called this mission a failure. It would be a failure for many years in the mind of NASA, even up to this point, because the mission of getting people to the moon and back wasn't achieved but for the people who are looking at just how do you handle with how do you handle crisis, people started calling it a successful failure. The commander of the mission, 50 years later, still says his name is Jim Lovell. This was a successful failure. And if you take business classes, it's possible you will be engaged in the conversation of how did NASA and the astronauts get back to Earth safely within a crippled peace. What came out of it was so much more than landing on the moon. And Jim Lovell still says today, it was a successful failure because we learned so much. While Apollo 14, 15, 16, and 17 would go on mission and would land on the moon, most of society doesn't remember those, but Apollo 13 became one of the three Apollo missions that almost everybody knows about. Apollo 8, Apollo 11, the 11 landed on the moon, Apollo 13 came back. It became the hat trick of Apollo missions. But it took people looking beyond just the mission of NASA. It took people taking another look to find out what it looks like to have a successful failure. A redemptive story. For the disciples, if they had, you talked to them on Friday, 
on Saturday, even early, early Sunday morning, they'd say, this was a failure. <laughs> Jesus. It was a good thing while it was happening, but man, this thing is upside down. But on the other side of Easter, Jesus' life becomes a successful failure. Failure that he didn't bring a kingdom to the earth like people thought. He didn't provide everything that they wanted, but successful in that eternity has been changed through that. This morning I would like to give you some things, because sometimes it's hard in this walk of faith, from where we ask Jesus Christ to be our personal Savior and reclaim him as our Lord, to what does it look like to be mature in Christ. I think the resurrection points us in some directions. But I'd like you to hear these thoughts and, and ask them, and even in your families, talk about them. What does it mean to be mature in our walk with Christ? I think the resurrection would tell us a few things to measure. One, we measure ourselves as broken but complete people. In the resurrection, as, as we see Mary moves through this process, we see her still a broken person. But when she hears her name, Mary, and she sees Jesus, she knows <laughs> she is complete in him. She will still make mistakes. She will still live a life that isn't completely on track with what God wants. But because of Christ and the resurrection, the big thing is settled. She knows who she is. She doesn't have to worry about the void in her life. She doesn't have to worry about what she needs to do because she knows in Christ she is complete. She can rest. The second thing I ask you to think about in light of the resurrection is how do you measure your actions? As you think about following Jesus and in your mind you may come up with 10, 15, 20, 100 things you're supposed to do to be a follower of Jesus. What is at the root of that? The resurrection says this. You don't have to do anything to follow Jesus on one hand. On the other hand, when we meet the risen Savior, <laughs> we've got things to do because the resurrection is alive in us. If we do our actions to make our salvation better and more complete, we miss the resurrection. If we first experience the resurrected Christ and then let that experience flow into our actions, those are two completely different things. Why do you do what you do? To make things better? Or because you've met the, re the resurrected Savior and now your life is just motivated from something completely different? Lastly, we believe in eternity. We believe our lives are moving towards eternity. What that means is we cannot control these next few days, these next weeks. We do not know the toll the virus will take or how we will respond. We may, know, we may not know if we have a job in six months. There are so many things that we see as the big thing. Christ would say as a resurrected Savior, I am the big thing. If you follow me, uh, there may be ups and downs. There may be loss and death, and terrible things that will happen, but compared to eternity with Christ and living life as a follower of Jesus, that is the big thing. As resurrected believers, we look forward to that time where Christ will come back. But in the meantime, we know the battle has been won. As Mary meets with Jesus, the last thing he really says to her is, go and tell. Again, not to add anything to her story, 
But just because you've met the risen Savior, go and tell. Starting next week, as Joel said in the announcement, we are going to be at giving our life serve groups some direction on just what does that mean? It's called the art of neighboring, and it has a COVID-19 addition to it. If you met Jesus Christ in the resurrection, this is the beginning of this story, not see you at Christmas. When we meet the risen Christ, it is the beginning of how we take the story of Jesus and we share it around us. As life serve groups, we will be asking the question, how do we neighbor in a way that we can live and tell and share the resurrection story? When we do that, the resurrection is continuing, continuing to change us and to change the world in which we live. May this morning, as we take more steps and more looks at the Easter story, may we assess in our heart where we are in our walk with Christ. And may we be faithful followers because we've met the risen Savior. Let me pray for us. Dear God, Jesus, thank you so much that you are a God who loves us. Thank you that you are a God who is risen. And God, while we tend to look at the things that just are coming at us so fast, God, give us the faith and the confidence, having met you, that we know that the big story has been written. The big story is victorious. And God, help us to attach our lives and our daily motivations and activities and priorities to that. God, may the people around us and our neighbors seeing that something that reflects that we have met the risen Savior. We have heard him call us by name. And now we are ready to share that story. God, may this be the beginning of our new stories as resurrected believers following the resurrected King. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.